scripture reading this evening is Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah 49, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 17. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. Now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. That thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, And lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinan. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. 
Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers, and they that made thee waste, shall go forth of thee. That's why we read the word of God. Our text is verse 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. The words of our text, beloved, are beautiful words, a beautiful statement, a beautiful promise of our God. And those were words that were given by the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Judah when Isaiah was commissioned by God to bring to the nation of Judah a prophecy concerning their captivity, a time of trouble for the church and for the faithful people of God. Those who were the faithful were distressed by these prophecies. It seemed to them that as the captivity would unfold, as they would be uprooted from the land of Canaan, the land of promise, and as they would be taken into slavery in Babylon, it seemed to them that God had forgotten them and that God had forsaken them. Verse 14 expresses that. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my God, my Lord, hath forgotten me me. The prophet Isaiah was sent to them to bring a word of God that assured them that all would be well. And all would be well for them because they were engraved on the palms of the hands of God. And in their need, And in their distress, as the Old Testament church and saints, God did not merely speak a word in order to try to comfort them, in order to attempt to bring them comfort, but as verse verse 13 makes plain, God actually comforted them. The Lord hath comforted his people. That's the work of God. That's how God works in his church and among his people. We need this word of God and this word of comfort as well. We always do. We always do as church and churches. And we always do also as individual believers on account of the hand of God that brings affliction. Zion is afflicted, as the text says and the context indicates. God's people are afflicted. There's always something in every home and in every life. 
the affliction of the death of a loved one, the affliction of the imminent death of a family member, the affliction of sickness and medical treatments, the affliction of children who stray and the sorrow that that brings into the lives of the people of God. And some of the afflictions that God brings upon his saints is affliction that is lifelong. There is no solution. There is no cure. There is no remedy in this life for that affliction. It will end only through death and through being glorified and through experiencing the perfection of heaven. In some of the affliction of God's people we are aware of, but there's also the affliction that we are not aware of. Many of God's people suffer silently and privately, unknown to the rest of us. When it comes to the afflictions and burdens of the church and of the people of God, it is interesting to note that the scripture has a variety of ways, especially in the language of the Old Testament word of God, a variety of ways of describing how God cares for his church and people at such times. This language of the word of God, he bears us on eagles' wings. Underneath his people are the everlasting arms of Jehovah. The Lord is my shepherd. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth and even forever. The Lord is the tower to which we flee for safety. He is our refuge in the storms of life. He is our rock. And now, in addition, and in the unique language of the text that that is before us, this is how God cares for his people in times of their affliction. He has our names engraven upon the palms of his hand. We know and believe as God's people what our text states. We do. And we understand that this word of God provides comfort to the people of God in their distress. But we also readily admit that our struggle is to live every day in the consciousness of this because of which we need frequently to be reminded of it, as we are tonight by the words of this text. 
Let us then consider this Word of God with this as our theme engraved on Jehovah's hands. Three things concerning that surely remembered, carefully protected, and greatly comforted. God speaks and God says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. And we understand, of course, that that is figurative language. And it's figurative language that has as its purpose to describe to us and to assure us that we are always remembered by God, never forgotten. If any one of us plans to remember something or to remember someone, then we will have something close at hand as a reminder to us of that person or thing. In fact, the Word of God instructs the people of God to do that with His Word, with the Scriptures, with His law. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9 And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gate, something that was close at hand, something that was visible, something that was obvious. God instructed his people, write my word on the posts of your house and on the gates of your houses so that you never forget my word. Someone who is married does that by wearing a ring, a constant reminder to him or her of his or her spouse. If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you have a picture. Maybe that picture is your wallpaper on your cell phone or is the home screen on your computer, something close at hand something that is a constant reminder of that person. So you never forget that. And the text tells us God has that of Zion, of Zion which represents and which refers to his church. But now it is not merely a picture that God has of Zion, something that is sitting close at hand, nearby, but God says that it is the name of his church that he has close by. And he has that name very close to himself. And how close is the name Zion to God? The name of his church, and by implication the names of the members of his church, the body of Christ that is part of that church, is written on the palms 
of the hands of God, and not just written, but engraved there. And this reminder, not a literal reminder, but a figurative reminder, is something that is on God himself. It's not on some other piece of paper or some other object that is at a distance from God that could even be lost, but it is written on the palms of the hands of God in a very prominent place that God constantly sees. And it is engraved there. So that you could say, if you understand what an engraving is, etching into stone, a deep engravement, you can say that the name Zion and your name as part of Zion is a part of God himself. Not separate from him, but part of him. Which underscores that it is impossible for God to forget Zion. Impossible for God to forget his church and his people. For God to forget them would be for God to forget himself. God cannot do that. So the thrust of this figurative language in our text is to emphasize for us that we are not for one moment out of God's mind. We are never overlooked by God. We are never forsaken by God. We are never forgotten by God. Not even for a day. Not even for an hour, not even for a minute, and not even for a second. And what ought to especially receive our attention is the fact that our name is engraved in the palms of the hands of God. What that implies, implies and indicates, first of all, beloved, the fact that we are engraved on the palms of God's hands is that we are valuable to him, precious to him. If someone gives to you a valuable and precious diamond and you have to take it somewhere, then you don't put it in your back pocket. You don't put it over there on a shelf for a while. But the safest place for that precious diamond is in the palm of your hand where you can wrap your fingers around it and keep it safe and secure. The best place so that it isn't lost and it isn't stolen. Therefore, the fact that God has engraved us on the palms of his hands means, clearly, that we are valuable to God. 
We are the objects of the love of God. We are the precious children of God. We are his beloved children in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he places us in and keeps us in the safest possible place, the palms of his almighty hands, the hands of Jehovah, who is our covenant God, who is our Father, and who is our friend. That's where he places us. And secondly, when you consider an engravement, an engraving, then you also understand that that represents something that is permanent. Permanent. God has not simply written our names on the palms of his hands in pencil or in ink that can fade and wash away. God has not simply painted our names on the palms of his hands, nor has he even put them on the palms of his hands in raised letters that could be worn away. God does not use things that could fade or that could wear away over time, but as he expresses to us that we are always remembered by him, he wants us to understand that our names are engraven into his hands, something carved into hard stone. That's the comparison. Something that cannot be changed, something that cannot be altered, something that cannot fade, something that cannot be lost, something that cannot have this happen, that you look at it after so many hours or so many years and you no longer can identify what it says. None of that. And what that points to, beloved, is that our names were engraved on the hands of God in eternity. The text itself indicates that too, because it says, I have graven thee. This is not something God is just doing now, but this is something God has done in the past. And God has done it in eternity, before time began. It is what God did, you understand, in the decree of election. That's when Zion, the name of his church here, Zion, that is his in Christ, Zion with all her members, that's when our names were engraved into the hands of God. Which means that God has had our hands, sorry, our name close to himself from all eternity. From all eternity, he has had us on his mind. From all eternity, we have been the elect the precious bride of Jesus Christ. And that indicates, beloved, also this, what God sees when he sees your names 
on his hands. The text and the context show, as I have been stating, that the name that is on the hand of God is Zion, the church. God does not simply have on the palms of his hands your individual names in isolation from the church. God does not have on the palms of his hands your names in isolation and separation from Christ, but he puts, you could say, the name Christ on the palms of his hands as representing the church, Zion, and all who belong to that church. So that on the hands of God is not a list of our separate names as sinners. On the hands of God is not a list of names that continue to remind God of the fact that we are sinners. That we have transgressed. But the name there is Zion, the church of Jesus Christ. The church that was chosen in him, the church that has been redeemed by him, and the church that is righteous in him. God does not see us, therefore, as he looks at our names on the palms of his hands as a gathering of depraved evildoers who are ugly because of sin and who deserve his wrath and deserve to be forgotten and forsaken by him and that forever, but rather he sees Zion and her members as we belong to and are in Christ. A beautiful people, cleansed from sin, conformed to the image of the Son of God, the church that has been redeemed, the church that has been sanctified, the church that is referred to in Scripture as the saints of God, holy ones. The wife of Jesus Christ that is beautiful and that is glorious as he is because we belong to Zion, we belong to the church, we belong to Christ. And then notice, beloved, God says, very first word of our text, behold, behold, take a look. It's as though God stands before us and he holds up his hands to us and he says, take a look. I want you to see what I have written on the palms of my hands. I want to, you to see what I have engraved in the palms of my hands. And therefore I want you to see what I constantly see on my hands. And what I never forget and when I say behold to you, then I want you never to forget it either, that this is where your names are. 
Your names are on my hands, God says. And your names are on my hands as part of the bride of Jesus Christ, Zion. Zion whom the Lord has chosen and Zion whom God loveth well. Zion that is holy and pleasing to God. Perfect in and through Jesus Christ, the beloved of the Lord. And God, in calling us to behold this, of course, wants us never to forget that he will never forget us. Not even, and especially not, when he afflicts his people. Notice in the context, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? You would say, well, a mother wouldn't do that. A mother wouldn't forget her child, her child that is dependent on him, her child that, on her, a chi- her child that needs her. That would be a very rare and a very strange thing. A mother naturally loves and cares for that dependent child. But then verse 15 adds, yea, they may forget. It can happen. It can happen amongst humans, amongst mankind, because of sin that a mother does forget her sucking child. And God says that in order to put before us the contrast that he cannot and will not and never will forget us. Yet will I not forget thee, always remembered by God. But notice from our text, beloved, that Zion, the church and the people of God, are not only remembered by God, but also protected by him. That's the second half of our text. Thy walls are continually before me. Now the walls in the Old Testament church surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And those walls were for the church's defense and for the church's protection. And God says to us, those walls are continually before me. That is, our walls representing our protection are a concern to God. God's concern is not only to remember his church and his people, but God's concern is also to protect his people. He also remembers to protect his church and his saints. And that's a protection that the church and the people of God surely need. 
The church needs it. The church needs it because there are things that threaten to destroy the church of Christ in this world. There is the worldliness of the members of the church, their love of the world, which weakens the church of Christ. There are the sins of the members against each other, which can cause disruption to the peace and unity and harmony of the body of Christ. There is the threat of false doctrine arising in the church. There is the threat of doctrinal indifference in the church. There is the threat of the church losing her first love. There is the threat to the church of the church weakening because the families who make up the membership of the church of Christ are weakening and that because parents are not teaching their children, and in the words of Judges 2 verse 10, a generation arises in the church that does does not know God, and that does not know the works of God. The church has many spiritual enemies, especially the devil and the ungodly world. And God assures us that he protects Zion because the walls of Zion, which represent the protection of the church, are continually before God. The church of the elect is protected by God, that church of the elect wherever she is in the world. We're not speaking here merely of one congregation. We're not speaking here merely of one denomination of churches. Wherever the elect are, God protects them. He protects the church which cannot protect or defend herself. That church is safe in the hands of God. Safe, why? Because her name is written, engraved in the palms of God's hand. The church is defended. The church is preserved by God. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Christ. Never. And when God protects Zion, when God protects the church of the elect, then he also protects the individual members of the church, the believers whose names are on the palms of his hands, engraved into the palms of his hands, because they belong to Zion. He protects us. He protects us during trials and afflictions that we have. He protects us during sickness. He protects his people when their souls are burdened and sorrowful. He protects his people when they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He protects his people during the tests of faith that they face in this life. He protects you and me when we are tempted to despair 
in life because of life's circumstances and difficulties and even responsibilities. He protects his people when we are inclined to doubt the Lord's goodness to us. And he protects his people when they face powerful temptations and fall into sin. Again, he protects a people which cannot protect itself. He defends a people who cannot defend themselves. He always has his people safely tucked away, you could say, and kept in the palms of his hands, and he never lets go of that. No matter the affliction, we are always in the hands of God. And there is no safer place to be. And that protection of God is a very blessed protection, a very blessed safety, because God protects us with regard to what matters most for his people. That's not anything earthly. It's not earthly success or earthly joy. It's not earthly fame and earthly happiness, that God protects us from anything that might take those things away from us. But God protects us in our salvation. The walls of his, the purpose of the walls of his protection is to save his people and to preserve his people in their salvation. God remembers us, then God saves us. He remembers to provide us with the gospel, preaching for our salvation and comfort. He remembers to send the Spirit into the church and into the lives of his people, the Spirit to humble us the Spirit to bring us to repentance and turning from sin, and the Spirit to direct us to our only comfort in life and death, our Lord Jesus Christ. He remembers to forgive our sins. Christ has died to pay for them. God grants us through the Spirit of Christ the blessing of forgiveness in the way of repentance. He remembers to give us the righteousness of Christ. He remembers to sanctify us by the Holy Spirit so that we are spiritually beautiful people in the eyes of God. And he remembers through it all to prepare his people for glory. Everything in history and everything in the lives of the people of God serving for the glory of God's people. And he remembers, as verse 13 says, to have mercy upon his afflicted. And that's sure because of where God has engraved our names. We come back to the fact that God has engraven our names 
on the palms of his hands. And you may ask the question, why there? Why is that the figure that God uses here? Why not elsewhere? Why not somewhere else on his arms or on his feet or on his chest? Well, that's because God uses his hands to do his work. That's what we must think of as this figurative language is to be understood by us. When God does his work, and he does all things, he controls all things in the world and in our lives, everything around us and everything that we face and experience, when God does his work, all according to his counsel, then as he does his work, what does he see? He sees, and he cannot help but seeing, the church's name and the name of every member of the church on his hands. He puts his hands out there to do his work, and he cannot help but notice the name of the church there in front of him. And therefore, he cannot do anything without noticing us, and he cannot do anything without having his people in mind in everything that he does. With our names, you could say, in full view, as he carries out his work, he carefully does everything for the benefit of those whose names are engraved on the palms of his hand. Carefully protected, and God working all things for our good. And yet, as was true for the Old Testament people of God, sometimes Zion says, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. In the midst of trouble, the church and the people of God are sometimes inclined to say, Where is our God? He seems far away. He seems to have deserted us. We face deep troubles, and it's as though we are called upon to face them alone. It seems that God has done the unthinkable. What a mother ordinarily would not do forget her child. That's how it can seem when there are troubles in the church or in the churches. That's how it perhaps has seemed at times in the past years even. And that's how it can even seem now as our churches continue to experience some heavy troubles and burdens and needing to face them and deal with them. 
But then there is, in addition to that, the trouble in the church that we bring upon her and in her by our own weaknesses and our own personal sins and failures and the strife and the disunity and the disagreement that can arise within a congregation or a denomination of churches. And it can seem that way when things in our own personal lives are heavy. Personal afflictions and personal troubles that are overwhelming for us at times. And ongoing with little or no relief. Then we are tempted to say the Lord has forsaken us. And our God has forgotten us. Where is Jehovah? He seems to be far away. I look for him, but I cannot find him. When our faith is weak, then we perhaps are inclined to say what Job did. In Job 23, verse First of all, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might even come even to his seat. And then in verses 8 and 9 of that same chapter, Job 23, when he said, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. It can seem that way. And sometimes in the weakness of faith, we say what the Old Testament church did. God has forgotten us. It's with that reality in view, very specifically with that reality in view, that God speaks this word to us. A word in order to provide comfort and consolation to the people of God, and a word as verse 13 makes plain by which the Lord actually comforts Zion. And the comfort that God provides for Zion is not that everything will always go well for God's people and God's church in this world. The comfort for Zion is not that the church and the churches that we belong to will eventually be perfect and trouble-free. The comfort is not that soon your earthly life will be smooth all troubles over, and you will only experience joy in life. But this is the comfort. Your name is engraved on the hands of God. That is, you are always remembered, and you are always protected. With God doing everything that he does, with your names constantly before him. He cannot forget 
He cannot overlook. He cannot ignore his people who are precious to him in Christ. As he works all things, he must work them and does work them for our good. And if it is God, the Lord, Jehovah, who remembers and protects his people, then who can hurt or harm or destroy them? How can we not be safe and safely secure in our salvation? Believe, beloved, this word of God. Your names, and also the names of your covenant children, because he is Jehovah, our covenant God, those names are engraved on the hands of Jehovah God. You and your children cannot be forgotten or forsaken or taken away from him. Believe this word of God and be comforted. Amen. Of God and Father in heaven, wilt thou cause thy word to be a blessing to us, to give us to understand thy faithfulness and goodness that we are never forsaken or forgotten by thee. And if at times our faith is weak and dim, strengthen it to confess this truth and to be comforted by thee and thy spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.